Shake and Blake presents the Sevenfold Crown and the Cinderton Experiment. Dear listeners, and welcome to this, for now, the final episode of Shake and Blake, the Blake 7 podcast shared between Earth-2.net and GeekPlanetOnline.com. My name's Ian Wilson, and I'm joined by Mr. Dave Probert. Hello there. Hi. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad. Um, I've got the rest of the week off for study leave, and then I have uh, lawyer exams next week. So, um, tense times, but, yeah. you know, when we started this podcast, I wasn't even employed by a law firm, so, <laughs> you know, there's the progression. Well, yeah, I mean, I, like you, I, I have started a uh, re-listen to the podcast from the beginning. Oh, right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> How are you finding that? Yeah, it's interesting listening to things develop, really. I mean, like, sort of hearing us, sort of obviously there's that thing where we hadn't podcasted together before. Yeah, yeah. At the start, so just sort of hearing us sort of like get into a rhythm together, which sounds mm. a bit wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's been fun re-listening to things and, and remembering things that I'd forgotten. Yeah. Any any favourite moments? Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> Uh, the talk of pity emails and you damning everyone at Geek Planet Online to hell. Yeah, yeah. And then having to make a shame-faced retraction. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> well, you can only learn lessons in life by making mistakes on the way. This is true. Okay, well, before we uh, get into these uh, two little curios from the 90s, uh, I have a solitary email in the Geek Planet inbox... From Mr. Michael David Sims. What? What? Yes. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) Go on, then. He says, Gentlemen, thank you for every episode of Shake and Blake, not just for the entertainment value, but for the effort you both put into each show. Dave, for your editing. Ian, for your boozing. (laughs) Each task had its challenges, but both of you met them head-on and with rarely seen professionalism. To Dave, I tip a cursor in audacity to you. To Ian, a beer, maybe with a whiskey chaser. I'm sensing a pattern here. More than the humour, effort and beer put into every episode, though. Again. I, <laughs> I appreciate what Shake and Blake means to Earth2.net and GeekPlanetOnline.com. As our first joint effort, I'm proud of the bridge building you two have fostered. As you, as you should be, too. We now have crossover listeners, including myself. Count me as an avid fan of the broadcast. And, of course, there's our joint segment I'm finally, although still reluctantly, calling Pulp Diction. Yes. Honestly, I'd I'd rather we called it Dick Pulption. (laughs) Well, you can bring it up at the next review meeting. (laughs) However, 
we've come to form a sort of British-American Voltron. What? Oh, gold. Uh, Voltron's like a Japanese anime thing. It's a bunch... You know how in the Power Rangers, lot, lots of uh, different animal things come together to make a giant robot? Yeah. It's, it's basically that. Oh, great. On one side, refined class, unparalleled charm, an accent that wets the pink of ladies worldwide, and a curious pairing of the letters O and U. On the other side, bacon, 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 and butter. Possibly bacon-flavoured butter. So, basically, if Biggles... <laughs> Are you off your meds, Mike? <laughs> so, basically, if Biggles pair-bonded with Paula Dean, you'd get a Geek Planet Online slash Earth2.net union. I have no idea what that means, and the image of Paula Dean sporting a GPO E2 baby from her butter-dripping megat will haunt me for the rest of my days. And now for the rest of ours, probably. <laughs> Mm. So I'll sign off with a heartfelt, sober thank you and congratulations. Cheers, Mike. P.S. For our British listeners, Paula Dean is a cook from the American South who believes that there is a god of butter. <laughs> well, that that was educational. Yeah, well, th- thank you very much, Mike. And uh, I think it's fair to say that we're both sort of quite proud of the fact that, uh, that every time we've had like an email from somebody saying, "Oh, I've started listening to this on Earth Two or this on Geek Geek Planet Online because of you know the bridge that we have formed," it's yeah. uh, I think it's just one of those things. That, uh, you know, it's what we set out to do when we started the show, as well as talking about Blake Seven. And it's nice to see that it sort of works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as much as we joke that we don't get any listeners or or any feedback, that that is patently not true. Yeah, we, we get at least six or seven listeners, <laughs> and at least as much feedback. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you know, ultimately, I mean, we were aware of each other's podcast hosting before we met, and then we did meet, and then this idea was quickly conceived. And, uh, yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's gone better than I could have hoped. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and as a result, uh, yeah, you you are now a, a guest host on Earth 2 every now and again. Which I consider a great honour. Obviously with me supervising, because, you know, <laughs> can't, can't let anyone on there. Well, but, to, uh, to be fair, you have to supervise both me and Mike. When we... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, tell me about it. Um... <laughs> And yeah, I, and I, I get a lot out of uh, Geek Planet Online as well. Not to mention a lot of tolerance for my uh, rather slack uh, work rate in terms of writing. <laughs> but when, is, when can I expect the next carry on scribbling? Well, you know, with these exams coming up and then uh, my brother's stag do at the beginning of the month. May gets married in August. Uh, November. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I've set a date. It's going to be November. Excellent. Carry on, cowboy. <laughs> Which is a bloody good film, actually. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. See if I stick to that. <laughs> you have to. There's a verbal recorded contract now. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, with the formalities out of the way, shall we uh, glance into the sevenfold crown? Yeah, let's do this. Can you make out what type of ship it is? Negative, Master. Orac. Mark III, Star Class Battlecruiser. Armament, 12 heavy-duty laser disintegrators. 
64 bio-seeking torpedoes, 130... All right, all right, that'll do. For God's sake, Tarrant, use the reserve cells. Slave. Uh, yes, master. Execute hyperjump. Utilize all energy banks. Repeat all. Maximum velocity. Insufficient power, master. Don't argue, just do it. Oh, if you insist. I told you so. What you might call escape as interrupters. If you can't find anything more helpful to say, Villa, I'd advise... Save! Give me a status report. Federation vessel approaching on interception course. Within firing range in one minute, 25 seconds. And there's not enough power to outrun them on the reaction drive. What did you expect? Our cutting-edge, state-of-the-art new photonic thingamie was never meant to run on a couple of old torch batteries. We're running out of juice! Thank you, Villa. Slave! Report fuel status. 6.359% of capacity, Master. I blame myself, I should have warned you, but I, I foolishly made the assumption that you Freighter, had made plans identify to do. yourself. Slave, maximum power available. Stand by for hyper jump. Uh, yes, Master. Do you think we haven't tried that? Quiet. At my command, execute lateral double hyper with a two nanosecond interval. Minimum velocity. I say again, oh, well identify and give the password. Fifteen seconds. State your identification code or I fire. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Now! Okay, our first audio adventure is The Sevenfold Crown. This begins with Avon being whipped by Servalan. It sure does. <laughs> and then she uh, teleports away and leaves Avon to the wolf snakes. <laughs> yes. Because presumably the wasp bears were busy. <laughs> now that sounds terrifying. <laughs> A wasp bear. Wait, it just seems to me like combine the names of two dangerous animals and shove them together. That's what the sci-fi channel have been doing. <laughs> Look out! It's the lion bees! <laughs> oh, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's the wuzzles. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we're getting off track quite early. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, it turns out this is all a dream, and uh, he's woken up by Dana, who tells him that uh, there's a Federation ship on the scanner, so he runs up to the bridge. Now, it seems that... Uh, the Scorpio, because uh, this is all set in Series 4, the Scorpio is having trouble um, having enough power to escape because the uh, the new photonic drive they've just got... <laughs> reference to Star Drive there, people. Ah, right, yeah. Uh, basically is too powerful for the energy cells they currently have on the Scorpio, so they don't have enough power. So uh, while they're delivering an ultimatum, uh, Avon tells Slave to... Uh, Make a lateral double jump into hyperspace. Yes. And by executing this lateral double jump into hyperspace, <laughs> right. they, they somehow convince the Federation ship that uh, they've disappeared. Uh, just, just, just to pause. Yes. W why are you putting such a tone on hyperspace? When has hyperspace ever been a thing in Blake 7? Um, good point. <laughs> Carry on. 
<laughs> and, and yet it's very much a thing in these two episodes. It is, both of them. Blake 7 doesn't have hyperspace. It does now. <laughs> it's the 90s. Yes, everything's got hyperspace in the 90s. Yeah. He's 17 and it coming out their arses. <laughs> <laughs> now there's an image. <laughs> so, uh, they have a bit of a conference while uh, Villa's eating lizard burgers. Yummy. And uh, Avon is starting to worry that uh, maybe Servalan is having um, a way of controlling his dreams because he felt the dream was so vivid it was almost real and he thought that Servalan was controlling it. And so to kill two birds with one stone, he's decided that they need to raid a Federation dump to get new power cells for the Scorpio and he's chosen the planet Ferno, which is uh, Servalan's base of operations. So off they jolly well pop to Ferno. And they split into two teams. Tarrant and Dana go searching for energy cells, and Villa and Avon go looking for Servalan. Uh, Tarrant and Dana stun a couple of guards, grab um, some power cells, although they don't know which power cells to get because you know, they don't know enough about space engineering. Because Tarrant points out he was an executive officer, not a grease monkey. <laughs> So they they grab the biggest pair they can get and uh, teleport back to the Liberator and start trying to fit them. Meanwhile, Villa and Avon are uh, walking around the base. They get attacked by um, fire, turns up at one point. And I believe some wolf snakes return. Well, sudden... was it, some kind of t- it was a tiger, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, it's a tiger, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, presumably like a tiger hornet thing. <laughs> A snake tiger. Yes. <laughs> and uh, eventually, uh, while the fire is surrounding them, Ava works out that it is a uh, psionic projection. And he uh, calms Villa down and gets him to count backwards, and eventually the illusion disappears. They make their way to Servaland's quarters, and uh, Avon gets Villa to uh, unlock the door, and Villa goes, well, it's not locked. So uh, Avon is sort of smiling, going, ah, she, you know, she thinks she's safe, you know, because she's using her psionic things to keep people away, so she she's just leaving her door unlocked. So they get in and, uh, in essence, hide behind the sofa. That's exactly what they do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while Servalan has a meeting with a professor whose name temporarily escapes me. Yeah, can't help you. Though. But the uh, the professor says that um, he's found some texts to do with a, a stone, and says that uh, there is. Uh, lots of uh, power to be sort of derived from this stone. It has different abilities. It has the uh, power to control dreams, um, low-level telekinesis, that sort of thing. But it says that it, it is part of something bigger and it would have potentially more power if it was united with other stones. So, uh, and also he, he recognises Servalan as the old president. So immediately the countdown of death is upon him. <laughs> yep. And sure enough, after he leaves... Um, Servalan orders him killed. So, uh, basically, Avon comes out from behind the sofa and goes, Oi, give me that stone. <laughs> and uh, Servalan blocks the firing mechanism of his gun using the psionic powers of the stone. And uh, it basically sort of holds him back. Like he, Avon threatens to sort of just take it with his bare hands, but uh, again, the stone plus Servalan's willpower is stopping him from doing it. Uh, at the last minute, uh, the uh, her lieutenant Vledka 
comes in, but they manage to teleport and get away. And it turns out that Villa has uh, swiped one of the professor's uh, documents the, he'd brought in to show Servalab. Basically, it's written in a strange language of hieroglyphs and stuff, which the professor says he probably won't be able to translate without the help of you know, basically a Rosetta Stone, some way of uh, decoding it. But they uh, managed to beguile Orak into helping them. Yes. <laughs> basically by flattering his vanity. Yep. And Orak tells them that uh, it relates to the uh, the diadem of a uh, king of the planet Torella. Uh, Torella is a holiday planet, which is uh, ruled by King Geblacon, <laughs> who uh, is a former space pirate who is now sort of settled down and signed a Federation treaty. Oh yes, I forgot to mention that the Liberator eventually manages to escape from the planet's orbit after they've just about managed to fit the power cells, but Slave is complaining that the power cells are too powerful. And Taran's going, maybe you're going to have all that extra power to play with, it's fine. (laughs) It's not fine. No. (laughs) But uh, when they uh, get to Torella, they decide to uh, infiltrate the palace. Tarrant is going to go in undercover as the Crown Prince Landros, as a uh, the son of a man named uh, Bratvers. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Who um, uh, was an old colleague of Geblicon's, and Avon is going to go uh, as his uh, equerry, <laughs> Major Dagstat. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile... Villa and Sulin are going to go locate the uh, the diadem and find a way of pinching it. So Villa and Sulin go around, and uh, Torella is very much a medieval kind of holiday planet. Yep. It, it's sort of like a nightmarish renaissance fair, <laughs> insofar that people are genuinely being tortured on a rack, and people pay to see this sort of thing. And, and they, they rescue a, a fella from the rack, and it turns out he's on the rack because he let somebody in to have a look at the diadem because he used to be a guard. So he agrees to get um, Sulin and Villa into the uh, the diadem chamber. Meanwhile, uh, King Geblacon uh, greets uh, Prince Landros and Major Dagstat. <laughs> and uh, Avon says that he's uh, taking Prince Landros here as a, a part of his uh, education and saying that the uh, the diadem of power would be part of his education if he you know, would eventually get to see it. Uh, Geblacon... <laughs> Reminisces about the good old pirate days, about when he got hold of the diadem in the first place, and complaining that uh, the uh, the sisterhood would rather throw themselves off the building than stay and have some fun with his lads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ben Steed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> so uh, they arrange to try and get into the uh, the diadem chamber. Tarrant stays behind in the palace. Avon goes to join Villa and Sulin. Uh, because there's there's been some problems with the teleport. Uh, Villa had trouble teleporting down initially. but So, uh, because the, te- the teleport's um, playing up, although Slave can't find anything wrong with it, they decide that, uh, basically, Avon and Sulin are going to cause a distraction in the, uh, basically, the Crown Jewels room. And while they cause a distraction, a distraction. Villa is then going to uh, break into the cabinet, take the diadem, and then get teleported up. Uh, everything goes well, except that uh, when Villa asks for teleport, the teleport doesn't come, and then it turns out that the uh, the guard that was helping them had been ca- recaptured and tortured, and he'd end up confessing. 
So uh, Villa is arrested. Meanwhile, uh, Sulin and Avon manage to sort of lose themselves in the crowd. At this point, Servalan arrives on Torella and says that uh, she's looking to uh, stop some insurrectionist elements from getting hold of uh, something that they shouldn't do and shows them uh, the pictures of Avon's gang and uh, he recognises uh, Prince Landros and he's quite proud that Brat vs. Boy has turned, in, turned piracy. So he successfully identifies Terence and Avon. Uh, King Gablicon tries to cause a distraction to get his um, his aides to warn Terence about the fact that Servaland's here. But um, Servaland isn't fooled by his very, very bad attempts at uh, signalling. Yep. And so Terence is, is captured and he's tortured. And in fact, yes, it's ca- it's the fact that um, Dana teleports Tarrant while he's being tortured that drains the teleport. That means uh, that he can't teleport Villa. I've got that the wrong way round. <laughs> <laughs> Here's where things get a, li- get a little bit complex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they come up with a plan to uh, rescue Villa by uh, Tarrant pretends to be the hangman, or like, disguises himself as the hangman. So uh, the two of them get away, and then Avon and Sulin turn up, and they kill one of the guards. Avon points a gun at Gebricon and demands that he hands over the diadem. Uh, Gebricon goes, yep, fair enough, just hands it over. Much to Servalan's outrage. He goes, what, same way I got it? (laughs) They teleport back up to the Liberator. But it turns out that Villa has been uh, recaptured. Because Tarrant's been teleported up, but Villa hasn't. Yeah. And uh, while everybody else is panicking about Villa, Avon's put the diadem on, and he's you know, feeling the power of, uh, show me the power! <laughs> Xander Drax. <laughs> <laughs> and because he's wearing the diadem, Avon can now understand all the inscriptions that are on the uh, the papers that they stole from the Professor. Uh, Servalan ends up teleporting up wearing Villa's bracelet, because uh, she gets Villa to call for teleport. And basically offers the Liberated crew a deal. Swap the diadem for Villa. Uh, everybody else is going, oh, well, yes, we must do this immediately. And Avon's like, <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, yes, they, they end up having to uh, have the diadem back. And they uh, get Villa back in return. So uh, they basically get, they get away. And uh, Avon is looking at the papers and he can't read them anymore, but he does re- remember something about a race called the Devani. So, back to uh, blowing smoke up Orak's ass. Orak <laughs> uh, eventually says, uh, out of self-preservation, he needs to, um, to let them know what's going on, because if Servalan gets to uh, this planet first, then he'll be destroyed. But it says that the diadem is part of a much larger crown, which is known as the Sevenfold Crown. And the Devani... I can't remember if the Devani's planet's named or not. Avon gets coordinates from Orak, and they go to this planet to uh, try and find the Sevenfold Crown and stop Servalan from taking it. When they arrive, uh, Tarrant and Sudin teleport down first, one at a time. Then Avon tries to teleport down, but the teleport fails. But uh, it seems that Orak has worked out part of what the problem is, due to the fact that because the power cells are of too high a rating... The teleport sort of safety cutout keeps cutting in because there's too much of a power surge. But uh, Orak tells them how to fix it and tries to tell them something else, but Avon just turns him off. So Avon t- teleports down again and 
to the point where they can use multiple people, so Avon and Dana teleport down together. They can't find the others, and then in the distance they can see Tarrant and Sulin are walking around with another Avon. Yes. So Avon immediately assumes that Servanar must have slipped some sort of robot double in there. The other Avon starts shooting at Avon and Dana. And then when you hear what uh, the other Avon is talking to Tarrant and Sulin about, he's basically saying the exact same thing. This is a robot duplicative uh, that Servanar has put in the way. Avon Villa reactivates Aurak, and Aurak explains how the teleport works, and basically says that um, there is a uh, disintegration phase and a reintegration phase. And it seems that uh, when the te- teleport tried to teleport Avon, it cut it cut out during the the, uh, the scanning of the information, and but the cut in came in before the disintegration phase. So Avon was reassembled on the planet once. But the, his original self was still in the Scorpio, which basically means those there are two exact duplicates of Avon. Yeah, they're both equally real and equally as ruthless as Orak points out. <laughs> if, and Orak also mentions that yeah, there's probably no need to worry because the problem will just sort itself out when one Avon kills the other. Yeah, <laughs> quite nothing pra- to worry about. Quite pragmatic. Yes. <laughs> so they get to the chamber of the sevenfold crown. Uh, both Avon start stalking each other and get get into a massive fight. Uh, Villa eventually comes back out of hyperspace. Yeah. Hyperspace. <laughs> because you can't communicate when you're in hyperspace, which is apparently yeah, that's, that's, where the Scorpio is hiding. That is how it works. In hyperspace. Yes. <sighs> Come on, we're nearly there. Okay, so uh, Villa manages to get on the communicator to let them know that uh, that they are both Avon. They eventually uh, stop fighting and end up having a good old chinwag and reminiscing about the good old days. Yeah. The good old days of the emptiness. (laughs) That sounds like Avon's idea of fun. I I don't know what they're talking about. But but, uh, Servalan arrives... She puts on the uh, uh, the Devani manifest themselves, and Avon and Servalan argue about who should get power of the Sevenfold Crown. Uh, things go the wrong way. Uh, the Devani, who were once uh, physical beings, but they transferred into pure energy and now living amongst the stars. There's a big earthquake. The whole place comes down. One of the Avons puts on the Sevenfold Crown long enough to, to hold back everything falling to bits as the planet starts to implode. Uh, Avon... Uh, and the rest of the crew teleport back up to the Scorpio. And as the uh, the planet implodes, they hear from the other Avon, who, who's basically whispering about the emptiness. Yeah, it kind of just turns into a snake. Yes. A lion snake. And, uh, yeah, basically that's the end. And nobody gets hold of the sevenfold crown, and everyone goes home for cake. Mr. Wilson, your thoughts on this? Right, where do I begin? Um... <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll give a little back history. Yeah. Uh, this was written by Barry Letts. That that name rings a bell. I will explain to you why it rings a bell. Barry Letts was a producer on Doctor Who during the John Pertwee's era. Ah, right, okay. Now, pretty much Barry Letts got the writing gig for this because there had been two John Pertwee radio stories, which would be uh, The Paradise of Death and The Ghosts of Endspace, which had both run sort of episodically. And they'd both done really, really well for you know, that kind of audience. 
So when they decided to bring back Blake 7 as another sci-fi property, they decided to get Barry Letts in again to write them, because he'd done Doctor Who. Okay. And uh, obviously there was a couple of uh, actors who didn't come back. For, uh, yeah. yeah uh, Gl- Glynis Barber and uh, Gisette Simon declined to appear. They were offered, but said no. So we have uh, two new actresses. We have uh, Paula Wilcox, yep. formerly of Man About the House, and, and many other such things. Uh, I think she's in, she's in Emmerdale at the moment. Okay. And we have uh, Angela... For our Bruce. American listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have uh, Angela Bruce, who's Dana, who will be uh, familiar to Doctor Who fans as Brigadier Winifred Bambera from Battlefield. Oh, right. So, yeah, uh, so they were recorded in... Uh, I think it was the early 90s. I can't remember exactly when off the top of my head. And honestly, I couldn't be bothered doing research. <laughs> uh, I've, well, I'll fill in that gap then. Okay. Well, you, you might be right in when they were recorded, but they were broadcast. Uh, Sevenfold Crown was broadcast in January 98. Oh, 98, as late as that. And the Sinderton Experiment was broadcast in April 99. Oh. Wow. That's later than I remembered. There you go. Fair enough. Well, then. So, yeah, that, that's a like, little mild background on it. So, yes. <laughs> you may begin. Well, first of all, it's 90 minutes long. Yeah. It... <laughs> that, <laughs> that's the got, fuck? That, <laughs> that's nearly three quarters of an, an hour longer than a normal TV episode of the show. And you do sort of feel it a bit as well. Yeah, uh, the pacing is weird. Because I, I have quite pleasant memories of it, because I just started getting into Blake 7 at the time, so the fact that there was new Blake 7 yeah. on the radio, I, I taped this one off the radio and I listened to it a lot. Mm. But sort of listening to it again now, it, it does drag in places. Yeah. And I think clearly the lessons were learned, considering the Sinterton experiment is only an hour long. Yes. But yeah, so... I mean... Ugh. Okay, I'm going to get the hyperspace rant out of the way now. Okay, you do that then. Just because it, it's clearly... I mean, it's nice that there's a nod to Star Drive in there. Yes. And the fact that they've got the new photonic drive, but because the Scorpio is quite an old ship, the, the power supplies don't quite work. They're not quite compatible. I like all of that, and it's a nice way of glitching the teleport as well. I like the writing of that. But hi, there is no mention of hyperspace in Blake 7 at all. And yet there's this whole science of hyperspace in this. The fact that like meta time is like the time in hyperspace and it runs like 20 million times faster. What? <laughs> the fact that like Tarrant knows all this because he was in the space service. What? <laughs> no! <laughs> anyway, yes. That's my, my rant about that, Ava. What else? Um, well... <sighs> I suppose, obviously, it's a completely different experience going from watching a TV show from the late 70s, early 80s, to listening to half of the cast come back and, you know, record a feature-length version in Pebble Mill. Yes. And, I don't know, I mean, it has its pros and its cons. And I'm sure I'll go over it, not just here, but with the next one. With re- with regard to the replacement actresses, I, I, I just didn't feel them. Really. I, I thought Sulin in particular was very out of character. They are both sort of quite 
chubby and relaxed and friendly, but I don't think that's the fault of the actresses. I think that's the fault of the script. Yeah, I, I suppose. But... But I, I think they do their best with what they've got. Yeah, I mean, they, they are mm. both very good actresses in their own right. Yeah. And you get the impression they are quite enjoying themselves. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I, I, I would, I would say the faults with their character aren't necessarily the faults of the actresses. I think it's because they are written by somebody who isn't as familiar with the characters. Okay, but that is fair. But at the same time, you know, the fact that I was hearing different voices did kind of take me out a little bit. I also think they, they're sort of aware of that because they don't get as much of the action as, as the original cast members do. Yep, back to space receptionism. Well, yeah, but I think in this case, possibly it's justified just insofar as, you know, if Dana and Sudi take too much of the roles, then it's, you know, that's sort of not what people have come to hear. Oh, yeah, no, I agree with that. And actually, I mean, even if I'm talking about them, I mean, some of the regular cast don't really sound very much like they used to. I mean, granted, it's nearly 20 years on, but, um, Certain times, certainly with Tarrant, actually. Well, yeah, because I mean, Tarrant, I mean, like Tarrant, Stephen Pacey was quite young, obviously, yeah. when Blake Seven was being broadcast. So he has matured, and you can sort of hear it in his voice, probably more noticeably than you can with anybody else. Yeah, in fact, I'd say probably the voice has aged the least is Michael Keating. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, Michael Keating, with like, a couple of minor moments, could have just been Michael Keating from the seventies. Yeah. Vocally. Yeah. But, and Avon is, uh, Paul Darrow is a lot gruffer. Yes. And you can, you can hear it a bit with Servalan, but not as much. Not, but, not as much. And again, you know, as you say, it's to be expected. You, know, you, you can't expect oh, yeah, people yeah. to sound the same as they did when they were in their 30s. That's just unreasonable. No. I sounded very different 20 years ago. Absolutely. Your voice hadn't broken for a start. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is that. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, obviously that was something to try to really had to get used to. I think, you know, for, for as much as Michael Keating, you know, sounded the most like he used to, uh, I think this is actually one of those times where Peter Tudnam really kind of stood out because, you know, his whole role anyway was just his voice. Yeah. So, uh, listening to both Orac and Slave translated, I think those were the the easiest um, to, to get across. Yes. Just because that was kind of what I was used to. And I suppose, I mean, if you think about it in context, people may not have seen Blake 7 for a long time when it came on the radio, whereas obviously you've just come from having watched... Everything. Everything. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to be more aware of the differences than, say, when it was originally broadcast, people may not have watched it in sort of five, ten years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, as for the script itself... Um, there were some great bits in there, but again, because it's so long, that it it kind of feels a bit disjointed. It it's a strange beast. It's it parts of it I think nails Blake Seven really well. Yeah, but there are other bits of it, some of them hyperspace shaped, <laughs> which let it go, which seem to miss miss the mark. It's it's sort of a weird combination. Mm. It's sort of almost Blake Seven. Blake six and a half. Yeah. I mean, certainly, like, characters like uh, King Geblacon, 
is a perfect example of the kind of like grotesque over the top character you probably would have had in series four. Yep. And he's wonderfully played as well. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the actor, but he's going for it, <laughs> isn't he, Jess? And, and he's a lot of fun. Yeah. Even if you know he is occasionally you know like reminiscing about people killing themselves rather than get raped. Yeah. I mean, it's not you know stated explicitly, but that's the implication. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there is no confusing that at all. So uh, yeah, and again, it's sort of out of left field, really. I mean, presumably that was part of Barry Letts' uh, tribute to Ben Steed. <laughs> yeah, because if there's one writer who deserves a tribute... Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got this fantastic medieval holiday torture world yeah. with with espionage in, in, and inveigling its way into the, the royal family and Servland comes in to bugger it up and you've got all the, this crown jewels nonsense going on as as well. That's all really fun. And then you've also got that uh, projection thing with Avon and Villa towards the beginning and then at the end you've got two Avons. Which you, and the Blake you... Seven Fangirls went to heaven. <laughs> and there is something that works a lot better in audio form rather than on television. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you can hear how much fun Paul Darrow is having Playing himself against himself. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it does suffer, and the I will say the John Pertwee stories suffer from this a bit as well. Hmm. Of uh, people describing things that are around them in ways that people wouldn't do if they were just having a conversation. There is that quarry line, of course. Yeah, but also just like, oh God, it really stinks around here. Look at all that. Look at all that rubbish. And look, there's a rat over there. It was like. <laughs> I will say the the first John Pertwee audio gets around some of these problems quite cleverly, uh-huh. but I won't go into that now. Oh. But, well, but basically, there's a there's a thing called experienced reality, like like something like kind of like virtual reality, right. and and lots of things sort of happen in the plot is when people are viewing the experienced reality and are describing it to people who aren't wearing the headsets. Uh, okay. So you could get away with people describing what's happening because in the plot they are describing what's yes. happening. Yeah. Where, but. There are moments here where it, it does stick out a little bit. It's like, oh, well, you're, you're doing this for the radio, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you think of? Uh, I mean, like the idea of the plot. I mean, I mean that opening is. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's kind of old school Blake Seven kink, isn't it? <laughs> kink is the word. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, immediately you're thinking, okay, how has Avon got himself into this predicament? With, with, you know, Servland whipping him. Although you do have to wonder, is he willingly in this predicament? <laughs> you, you, see, you could argue that were it not for the wolf snakes. <laughs> or the badger gnomes. Or the, you know, the elf. The crocodile badgers. Animals. Yeah, you know, the hybrid animals, essentially. <laughs> Fucking wolf snakes. <laughs> I'm trying to visualise a wolf snake. Just... It, it doesn't work, does it? It's not happening. Really. It's like, is it like a snake with a wolf's head? Is it like a wolf with a snake's head? Is it, <laughs> is it like a snake but with wolf legs as well? And... What? Yeah. 
So wolves and snakes are quite quite dangerous separately. Let's put them together. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and then you know, Serverland saying, "Oh well, the Scorpio's been destroyed, and your motley crew, which she refers to, <laughs> she refers to the Scorpio crew as that throughout both <laughs> stories, yeah. um, which gives me an idea of a, a very bad rock band." <laughs> Listen to to my eighties punks for some reason. <laughs> yes. Uh, and yeah, they're being sent off for a rigged trial or something like yeah. that. But um, and and then oh, it's all a dream. Okay, yeah. fair enough. I was being attacked by wolf snakes and lion sharks. <laughs> and Dave's just like, snap out of it! Come on, we've we've got things to worry about. So. Uh, and yet, and yet, that does um, start going into the plot because you know what draws the crew towards Surfland or Slayer because we're still doing the Commander Slayer storyline. Yes, given, it, <laughs> given, it, given its placement in series four, yeah, <laughs> and its Titanic importance to the overall yeah. story arc. <laughs> yeah, it's like twenty, 20 years on. They're still flogging that dead horse. We've got to wrap up the loose ends that were there. <laughs> um, and you did get to see that with that uh, professor. Uh, and that's a really good scene in, in and of itself. Because yeah. I've, I've got to say, Jacqueline Pierce is fantastic in both of these. Not, well, she... not that she's never been fantastic or anything like that. But when you've got this dotty professor going on and cracking really bad academic jokes. Yeah. You can hear her making noises in the background <laughs> as if it were as if it were a play. Yeah. You know. Uh, and you know, it's, she's not waiting until there's a gap or anything. She's just making affirmative noises here and there. Oh, I mean, she, she's um, having a ball, isn't she? Oh yeah. You kind of get the feeling she's been almost bored of <laughs> not being servalad and just like the chance to be servalad again is just like right. <laughs> I'm going to jump in this with both feet. Oh yeah, I mean, if you have the chance to play a character who is, you know, just out there and amazing and written really well time after time, and especially, you know, a villainous role who's very powerful and the like, and you get the chance to replay that part, then um, you're onto a winner. And uh, indeed she was. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely one of the best things in this. Yes. I mean, uh, her uh, annoyance with her King Geblicon when he just hands the diadem over. <laughs> so, you fool! <laughs> That's the Servalan I remember. And then, but also, like, King Geblicon's just like, oh, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's just like, them's the rules. You pulled a gun on me, I haven't got anything. There you go, lad, off you go. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> the pirate's code, yar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what stood out for you? Uh, I would definitely say the uh, the character of King Geblagon is a yep. lot of fun, as previously stated. Uh, I, I really like the amount of time that Orak and Slave get in this, actually. Yes. Because, yeah. again, I mean, like, as you say, because they are both quite vocal parts, it sort of makes sense to write them into the action a bit more. Whereas, like, where they're being sort of quite undynamic on the screen, so they didn't get used too much because they are just, like, you know, a thing on a wall or, like, a, a box of flashing lights. Mm. Like, Slave's constant apology for uh, not being able to operate the teleport properly. <laughs> and him trying to point out to Tarrant that uh, there isn't enough energy to uh, 
make the hyper jump. So I'm sorry, sir. I'd foolishly assumed that you knew that. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Very bank backhanded apology. <laughs> and the fact that he keeps on sort of saying that I've got. He says to Tarrant that the energy cells you've sort of a too high a rating, and Tarrant's like, "Well, yeah, you've got all that extra power to play with." <laughs> like, yeah, very, very good, sir. Well, look, that's that's the other thing that irked me slightly that they got wrong is that he calls everyone master and mistress, which he yes. does in the show. Yeah, they only ever called Avon master in the show. Yeah, but that's you know that's. I mean, it, that is, that is nitpicking, but it, yeah. it, it it did sort of it was something else that reminded you that this was written by somebody who didn't quite know the show as well as maybe he should. I mean, I'd have loved to have heard someone like Chris Boucher write these. It would have been interesting. I mean, that would that probably would if I had to have picked someone to do like a radio version of Blake Seven, and, and they were going to use sort of writers of the time. But yeah, he, he probably would have been my first choice. Not Ben Steed. Never Ben Steed. Oh, I was going to mention Tanif Lee. Oh. <laughs> James Follett. <laughs> oh. Roger Deakin. <laughs> Okay. All our favourites. <laughs> but yes, um, yeah, the the idea of the teleport, uh, sort of like creating a teleport duplicate, it it's a nice one, but it, it just sort of seems like a plot twist too late. It did come very late on. It, it feels like yeah, that should be an entire episode of its own, <laughs> rather than just like the last 20 minutes of this. Yeah. As you say, it sort of outstays its welcome, because like, the whole chase to get the diadem and getting hold of it is a lot of fun. But all the stuff with the Divani at the end and Avon's weird philosophy with himself and talking about the, the, the emptiness of his early years and... I was like, what? I, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could have been pulled off better. But, um... yeah, I think it, it just comes from the fact that it, it is too long and it runs out of steam and there's, there's like a plot twist too many at the end. Uh, I mean, I, I think the dialogue is quite good. I think they do get somebody. I think they get the characters quite good, especially Villa. When the uh, the, the hyperdrive breaks down at the start, and Villa says it's a case of escapist interrupters. <laughs> and also, when Avon is actually wearing the diadem for a brief period, and he has his a- his absolute power. Yes. And uh, the rest of the crew confronting him, saying, "Well, uh, it's a choice between you giving that up or us giving Villa up." And he's like, "Great, well." Sucks to be Villa. Bye. <laughs> nice knowing him. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> ultimately, that doesn't happen. But yeah, um, have we actually got much else to say about this? I think I think we're running out of steam a little bit. Really. I honestly don't. No. Well, it's a happy, chirpy last episode of Shaker Place. To be honest, we're just running on fumes. Yes. No, I mean, I would say it, it was good to hear us at the time. There are fun bits that to be had in it, listening to it again. But I think it's just, it's too flabby, it's too long, and there are bits of it that sort of stick in my craw a little. But at the same time, I, I can just sort of happily listen to it and sort of switch off. Yeah. Like if, I'm, if I'm walking to work or something, I, I can quite happily just have it on and not have to concentrate too much, because it's almost just like just hearing the familiar voices and not having to pay attention to the plot too much is sort of enough. I would say on that point, though, uh, it is not 
a kind of entry-level story for people new to Blake 7. No, but then I don't think they were looking to attract entry-level people anyway, if you see what I mean. But, uh, no, I, I can understand that. But, you know, unless, you know, essentially, unless the listener have had the kind of experience we've had and have seen, like, a lot of Blake 7 in the first place, this might be a bit hard to stick with. Yes, and arguably the uh, the next story could have similar problems. Uh, absolutely. Well, you know what? Shall we find out? Why not? Is he there? Can you see him? No, I... Yes. Yes, he's right in the middle of it. What clip have you got in your gun? Uh, plasma bullets. Semi-automatic. Give it to me. Take mine. It's a maximum stun. Grab us a slider cab. But don't kill the driver unless you have to. We're in enough trouble. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Mmm, Clissack. Yeah, that's right. Who left Clissack? Yeah. It's all there. Mmm, right. Stand up. Hands above your head. What have we here? One, two. Sergeant? It, it's all for my own oh. use. It's, well, it's medicinal like, you know, I get headaches. How do you think you're going to get away with it? I could smell you a mile away. Do you know, that's just what I thought when you and your pals came in. There's always a comic. Stand up! Spinder, you got me doing your homework. This face is slapped on the wall at every station house in the Federation. So, where are your friends then? Over here, Sergeant. No, don't try. Ah! The next burst takes the sergeant's head off. <laughs> the Scorpio crew make their way to Syndexia, and um, Avon and Tarrant go down to meet Gaskia, whilst Sulin and Dana are sent off to actually buy some uh, Sinterton because they have enough cash to actually uh, secure some legitimately which they will need to make their escape um, using the... Um, what is it, Dave? The hyperdrive. That's the one, the hyperdrive. And uh, so they're all off to that. Because uh, no one trusts Villa to do anything anymore, he's just left on board the Scorpio. Um, so uh, Avon and Tarrant go down, meet Gaskia, and uh, Gaskia proceeds to pretty much slurp Avon's face off. <laughs> because um, she she wants like a proper kiss off of Avon and proceeds to, I don't know, blurt him, really. I, I, oh, yeah. There's some weird sound effects for that. And uh, she goes on to say, Are you still the cheeky little sod you used to be? And again, I, I'm finding a difficult, <laughs> it difficult to picture that exactly. So <laughs> oh, it's you cheeky monkey, Evan. And Avon just has one of his terrifying laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> you were picturing the smile when he did that, weren't you? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, Avon then introduces Tarrant, who promptly puts a knife to her throat, and Avon says, "Aha!" Because what I didn't. Uh, say previously is that uh, Gaskia also kind of sold him out to the feds and um, <laughs> Avon narrowly escaped with his life but uh, he knows 
uh, that she sold him out. But he also thinks that uh, she doesn't know of his knowledge of her uh, selling him out. Um, so this plan would have been all very well and good if it weren't for the fact that Servlan and the Feds um, are surrounding the area thanks to Villa uh, and his indiscretions from the beginning of the episode. Uh, luckily, you know, they remembered that they had teleport bracelets. Unluckily, Tarrant didn't bother uh, because he was going incognito. So well, did... it's, it's because they originally went down to the planet via a shuttle to keep the teleport secret. True. Although... So, so Tarrant didn't put his teleport bracelet on because they were going yeah. down in the shuttle. Yeah. Because he's a dick. Well, it, it, it's certainly something that um, Avon says later. It's because of your stupid pride that you, <laughs> you know, effed everything up. So... Also, after after 30 episodes, you're finally saying F rather than dropping the F-bomb. Oh, I've, I've got to be in lawyer mode now. Oh, right, okay. It's all about... You can't swear at people willy-nilly. Although I am on a podcast. Yes. With an explicit rating. Yes. I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> so, um, Terence actually, for a, a little bit, um, kind of knocked out, uh, whilst he's not on Scorpio. Um, Servalan, having sweet-talked Gaskia into uh, assisting her with promises of power, because, you know, Gaskia is a bit power-mad herself. Um, as they've been, like, attending to Tarrant and fitting him with a, what was it, a Syndexian nanochip, or Syndesian nanochip, or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And it was implanted into his brain so that Servlan can have uh, power over Tarrant's, you know, mind and body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, whereas Servlan has been keeping Gaskier, uh you know, preoccupied with that, um, <laughs> Vletka has essentially been just uh, killing all of Gaskier's <laughs> administrators and putting the planet in Federation control. Which, uh, you know, fair play. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so Gaskier's carted off and swears blindly. She actually says, you two-faced bitch. And, again, this would have been going out on Radio 4? Yep. Saturday play? Yep. Okay. Um, so, uh, to, to which Servland just laughs evilly. <laughs> um, so, the Scorpio crew beam back down and, uh, get, uh, Tarrant back on board the Scorpio. And, um, once they're up there, uh, Tarrant turns round and holds a gun on everyone and says, Right, we're going to uh, these coordinates to pay a visit to Dr. Rossum, uh, who apparently has been hiding out on a planet called Kapika. So they do that, and they go into hyperdrive, and essentially uh, Servland's control over Tarrant is broken during the hyperdrive. Why? I don't know. Um, hyperspace. Hyper, whatever. You can't get a signal out of hyperspace. <laughs> Duh. Stupid server land. I think there is an implication that because it's the same compound that's used for 
the hyperdrive, but it just works for whatever reason, because there's a scene where Dana and Sulin are trying to get the information out of Orak, which ends with, oh, I'm sorry, I asked. Essentially. <laughs> so anyway, so he temporarily shows that he initially has no memory of it, and then once his memory is jogged by his, you know, terrified colleagues, uh, he's like, <laughs> oh yeah, um, I was kind of being told to, and I, I didn't really have a, an option, or I, I couldn't fight back, or, or something to that effect. So, um, as, as soon as they come out of hyperdrive, uh, Servland regains control of Tarrant, and um, essentially they uh, Servland actually radios in to the Scorpio to say, right, um, I'm sending you down uh, to the ship, because uh, if you take a look at uh, Capico, yeah, it's meant to be quite radioactive, and there's only every chance that Rossum's dead, but, you know, best prove it. So, um, with any luck, I will be sending you to an agonising death. Ciao. And, <laughs> um, so, Tarrant, uh, Servalan cannot directly order Slave to, uh, take him down, because, uh, <laughs> because Slave isn't actually bound to, of all people, uh, Slave will stand up to Servalan, because she doesn't hold any sway on the actual Scorpio. Uh, so Servlan actually speaks with Tarrant instead. And it, uh, it becomes quite a kind of chuckle vision scenario where he's getting a slave is getting ordered to do things by Tarrant and then having it reversed by the rest of the crew. <laughs> so Tarrant says oh to hell with this, I'm going to do it manually and as he turns to try and do it the rest of the crew jump him knock him out. Um, in the process Tarrant kind of grazes Sulin uh, with his gun, but otherwise they do knock him spark. Well, they knock him down, and Vampire's like, no way, I've knocked him out. Oh, now I have. Because <laughs> there were still signs of uh, Terence's life. And uh, Servlan throws a big fit. <laughs> it's just like, why have I lost control? Why? 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 Oh. Not her finest hour. No. So, uh, they do uh, crash land, although um, uh, Slave reveals that uh, the surface isn't actually radioactive, there is merely just a belt of ionising radiation above the surface of the planet, and uh, the conditions are actually now kind of normal, although the environment they're in is described as being like a jungle. Servland's trying to work out what's going on, Vletka can't prove his intellectual worth um, so Servland storms off to her quarters. <laughs> Fletcher's like, do you want me to join you in there? Ha! <laughs> okay, Servland. Sorry, I must have spiked the audio there. But, um, <laughs> now there's a waveform. But, um, yeah, so uh, Fletcher's not getting any for the, for the rest of the episode. <laughs> so, Avon, Dana and Villa by this point, uh, make up the ground crew and they go to seek out Rossum because Orak has found a computer signal and um, they deduce that it means that Rossum must still be alive so they can now actually take advantage of Rossum's secrets and uh, use their knowledge of the fact that Servland doesn't actually know that the planet's habitable uh, so they want to use that to their advantage uh, Servland uh, essentially 
needs uh, Tarrant uh, to wake up so that she can regain control and find out what's gone on. Uh, Tarrant does reawaken, only to find that Su Lin, who is particularly pissed off with him having raised her, um, has strapped him to a chair. And Servland's mental control is, okay, build up her trust very gradually and slowly. And, you know, once you've achieved that, she will give you an opportunity to escape. And uh, she does. And he does. Um, by bitch-slapping her around the face. Ooh, burn. Yeah. The ground crew have uh, met up with Rossum. Well, they've been taken to Rossum by a Neurobot, which is to say some kind of purple robot with three legs and three arms. I can only uh, assume Anne-Marie approves. <laughs> and uh, they kind of speak through vocoders. Um, <laughs> they all sound like Sparky's Magic Piano. I don't know what that is. But of course you don't, you're too young. Yeah, well, there we go. Um, <laughs> so, but they're taken to meet Rossum, who was initially wearing a headset connecting him to like the main brain of uh, his Neurobot. Uh, he's heard of the Scorpio crew, so he explains what the Neurobots are, and notes that he actually wants to become one, because that will make him a god! Now, who's for toasted cheese? So, um, <laughs> That's a good line, to be fair. So, yeah, oh, no, it absolutely is. But uh, the downside of uttering such a line is that Avon, Villa and Dana realise that he's barking mad. And that, you know, if he does turn into, or if he does assume the form of this kind of mega brain, um, then he may have uh, world conquest kind of, um, you know, ambitions, essentially, to, to, you know, show off his perfect race. Uh, Villa wanders off to find him is caught, and is then seemingly turned into a Neurobot, which is to say, his conscious is kind of uploaded into this robot, and <laughs> Rossum's about to say, great, well, we've made you a Neurobot, oh, you'll get used to it, now let's burn the body, for hygiene reasons. <laughs> and, um, they, <laughs> luckily, kind of, uh, Tarrant shows up, and holds a gun on him, and um, because by this point uh, Tarrant has spoken to Slave saying look will I be alright out there if I wear radiation suits and Slave not realising what's going on says well yeah but you wouldn't need one anyway would you and Servland's like you what <gasps> it's fine quick we must get there <laughs> toot sweet post haste get the car yeah <laughs> A very fast one, because they do arrive pretty quickly. <laughs> Fire up the quattro. Yes. So, Villa, who is shocked and stunned about his predicament, um, blames Tarrant for this, and goes to attack him, to which uh, Tarrant's response is to seemingly shoot off uh, Villa Neurobot's face. And uh, Dana is convinced that this means that Villa's dead. Tarrant gets taken down again, and uh, Rossum is charged with fixing uh, Villa the Neurobot, essentially. From here, uh, Servlan and Vletka show up, and um, but this kind of stops Rossum actually putting on the headset, and Avon 
appeals to Serverland saying, look, let, let's talk him into working with us so that we can uh, collectively find out the, se- the secrets that we want to know. Serverland's like, no, uh, takes the headset for herself and um, seemingly overloads it because uh, Rossum states that it was only meant for you know, empty heads, essentially. And yeah, you have to sort of train your brain to be able to wear it. Yeah, and uh, Servland's brains and neural impulses is creating some kind of positive reaction, uh, which is completely overwhelming the, the brain. So Avon decides he's going to encourage it so, so that the thing gets worse and worse. And um, Servland's is seemingly knocked out after experiencing some kind of vocoder orgasm about how powerful she is and how she's now the, the empress of the universe. I, I can only catch bits of it. Yeah, I, I've only got vague things from it. So, after there's an explosion and everything goes quiet, Rossum feels that Avon's destroyed his life's work because all of the people that, you know, had become neurobots were, were stored within that computer and now there's nothing left. And um, essentially, you know, Rossum lays all the blame on Avon for mass killing, and Avon turns it right back, saying, look, the Neurobots were never alive to begin with, and you want proof? Ta-da! His villa. Um, <laughs> essentially, there was some kind of reflection of the personality of the original creature or humanoid, and... Um, Essentially, by burning the bodies, once he had done the conversion process, uh, Rossum was actually burning these people alive. Hundreds upon thousands of people. And Avon uh, charges him with genocide. And Rossum is shocked to death. (laughs) Essentially. Yeah, that's a bit of a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, So... Back on board the Scorpio, uh, Villa is holding resurrection, a resurrection drinks party to celebrate him coming back to life. They muse on the theory that Servland possibly still alive, you know, if, if Villa made it. And uh, we end on an O Orco moment, because Villa has, as a running gag, been repeatedly wondering why they were a, a certain shade of purple. The end! Yep. Yeah. Mr. Probert, what do you think? What the fuck was that? Uh, that was the Cinderton Experiments, <laughs> a Blake 7 adventure by Barry Letts. This, the Cinderton Experiments. <laughs> what the actual fuck? <laughs> Again, there are little bits of it which do come across as Blake 7, but most of it is just... What? It's a bit of a head-scratcher. It starts out quite well. I mean, you know, they're in the bar and everything, and Villa is being typically Villa, and they have yep. to sort of escape thanks to his incompetence. But, like, <laughs> it starts to go off the rails a bit from there, doesn't it? Just a tad. Just, oh, just like, okay, so we're going to go meet this old woman who runs a planet, because Avon's tired of running, but he wants, so he wants to take over this planet, but he's doing it with Tarrant and a knife. Uh, oh, mind-controlled Tarrant. Yeah. Which is, you know, there's very little to, to distinguish between mind-controlled Tarrant and non-mind-controlled Tarrant. I, I don't know, I, I thought he carried himself slightly differently vocally. Yeah. But then like, there's a whole thing like Sulin just is just an idiot in this. Yes. 
Yeah. There's no way that actual Series 4 Sulu would have fallen for any of Tarrant's bullshit. No. Where radio Sulu just goes, oh, you can help me eat the burger if you like. After all, my hands are tied up. I'm all right then. No! <laughs> yeah, I don't think TV Sulu would have actually given Tarrant food. <laughs> I think TV Sulu would have just punched him out again the minute he woke up. Yeah. And, you know, that would have that would have saved them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, this is just such a mess. I, I I wanted to be nice about it, but there are so many things that just... Ugh. I got a text, listeners, from Dave yesterday saying, Oh, you've really lucked out with the Cinderton experiment. I've got to recap the bloody Sevenfold Crown. And then I sent him the text today saying, I've just listened to the Sevenfold Crown. I see what you mean. And uh, then I listened to this. <laughs> uh, now, thankfully, it's kind of easier to go over in, in recapping form, but if you were to dig deeper and try and explain... Things, like, the Neurobots, I didn't actually understand what Avon was talking about. No, the, the whole thing of, oh, they, they weren't really done uploaded. It's like, well, if they weren't really uploaded, and then the people were who were connected to them were burned alive, why are they still working? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You, you can't just say, it's just like they were a video game. No, you, you need more. No. You, do, <laughs> you, need, you, need, you need more. <laughs> Your science is wrong. <laughs> yeah. I will say that Rossum was a fun character. Yeah, well, he, he's played very well. He's played by an actor called uh, Peter Jeffrey. Right. He's been in Doctor Who several times. He was Count Grendel of Gracht in the uh, the Androids of Tara. Good. In which he, in which he is awesome. <laughs> um, and he does have some great lines as well. Uh, what I missed out was, in the same way that a, uh, Villa noted that uh, all the Neurobots were purple, he's like, got three legs and three arms. Why do they have three arms and three legs, Dr. Rossum? Ah, well, you see, the three legs. The extra leg is for more balance. Think, if you will, of the three-legged stool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. To, to be fair, he's nuts. He is nuts, but <laughs> but it, it's good actually hearing it, just just to confirm your kind of suspicions about the character. <laughs> and, and, of course, the third arm. Well, it means that you can grab hold of an item with one thing. And then work a bit with both of your normal arms. Ingenious, eh? Who's for toasted cheese? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, Vin is captured while looking for the toasted cheese sandwiches. <laughs> yes. My word. <laughs> yeah, Villa doesn't exactly shower himself in glory in this episode. Nobody showers themselves in glory in this episode. That is a very good point. Yes. <laughs> Servalan sleeping with Vledka. What? what? What did that have to do with anything? Uh, character moment. Really? I don't see what... <laughs> Other than making, like, yeah, I mean, they brought Vledka back because they didn't kill him off in the last one, so fair enough, you've given Servalan, like, a regular henchman for two stories. Mm-hmm. But I would say the only thing this possibly has in its favour, even though despite it's not terribly good, is you could theoretically, 
call this the final end of Serverland. Seeing as we never saw it on the screen. This could be the missing episode between, you know, Warlord and Blake. I suppose. Which could... could they say, oh, maybe Serverland escaped, maybe she didn't. But if you choose to believe the fact that she didn't, this would be what happened to Serverland. Yeah. You could make that argument. I mean, again, I think this one's technically also meant to be between Star Drive and Animals. But it's, I think that's only because it's kind of grouped with the previous story. Yeah, I, mean, I think you can make the case that there is nothing in it. I mean, unlike in Sevenfold Crown, where you know, they have just got the photonic drive. Yeah. There is nothing in Sinister Experiment that would ground it in between any particular episodes. Mm. There's no sort of references to sort of certain things having just happened. Yeah. So theoretically, you could say this is what happened to Serverland. And to yeah. be fair, being consumed by her own megalomania in a sort of a mind amplifying god machine. Pretty good way to go. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty much the perfect way that Serverland would want to go out. Yeah. I think believing that she has achieved everything she wanted in life. Yeah. But she didn't get to really have time to enjoy it is another matter. But, um, yeah, that would make a pretty good way of uh, giving the characters some closure. Yeah. But, but that's the only thing I can see in this episode's favour, particularly. Uh, everything. I mean, well, I suppose that's not entirely true. I mean, Certainly both of these have make better use of the fact that the guns have clips in them. Yes, they do reference that. Than the TV show did, particularly. I don't think the TV show was that bothered. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was a really nice idea, but they never did anything with it. Yeah. The idea, they have different clips for different things. You can have bullets, or you can have lasers, or you can have stuns, yeah. kill, or whatever. It is a good idea, and that's something they could have done more with, and, and they didn't do it particularly. Whereas here... They do sort of like, I mean, certainly in the Sevenfold Crown, Tarrant uses a maximum stun clip on something. And it's mentioned at the start of this that they, um, uh, Avon and, uh, Tarrant have to swap clips. Yeah. Because, uh, Tarrant's, uh, Tarrant's been carrying a stun and Avon's got like, uh, was it, it was like percussion bullets or whatever. Something like that. I don't know why they had to swap clips, why they could just swap guns would have made more sense. <laughs> True. But yeah, so I will say that, yeah, that makes better use of it. But it's just like the idea that sort of, Lots of stupid things happen. Like, Tarrant doesn't wear his bracelet, really? When the teleport is, you know, well known to be the one way out of an emergency. Mm. And Tarrant does have a talent for self-preservation. Yeah. I don't believe for a second Tarrant wouldn't take the bracelet, put the bracelet on. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, like, the only reason that happens is so that Tarrant could be stuck behind and get mind-controlled. Yeah. And there's so many other ways that could have happened. You know, it could have got damaged, it could have got taken, it could have got stolen, but no, he just forgot to put it on. Yeah. But goodness knows, I love Barry Letts' work on Doctor Who. (laughs) But? But these are (laughs) not good. They're... Yeah, um... Because, I mean, Series 4 wasn't brilliant. No. But the standard was better than these two stories. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't great, but it was better than this. I will tell you, the one thing I did enjoy from an audio point of view, though, yeah. where, you know, again, where it was making the most of the medium it was in, was when Servalam was kind of guiding Tarrant out of his predicament with Sue Lin. Yeah. 
It was just listening to Servland, just speaking with no background noise after Tarrant, you know, was having his dialogue with Selin. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that came across really very well. Cause That's it, quite nicely done. Because it also, it shows, you know, her tactical brain. And in some ways, she's kind of imparting it to Tarrant's subconscious. Yeah. And you'd think that Tarrant might know how to do that anyway, if he has Federation officer training, except, again, it's not something that his ego would really um, allow for. Or no. it wouldn't be a tactic that he would employ <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> Certainly not. No. But other than that, I mean, again, it's all like... It's a nice enough idea with him, of the uh, Professor Rossum, Dr. Rossum, sorry, you know, trying to make himself like a gestalt person and, you know, maybe invading like you know, the rest of the world and all that sort of business. But it's just sort of like, I don't know, like, he doesn't seem like a massive threat. I mean, they make out that he's a massive threat, but he doesn't really come across as one. He just comes across as a bit of a bonkers old man. Yeah. Rather than someone who could cut a sway through the galaxy. Well, I mean, essentially they speculate uh, behind his back. This guy could take over the world if he wanted to. And, you know, at worst he wants to become, like, the cyber controller. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's fairly low level. But yeah, I, I don't get the whole why were they purple gag thing. I thought that might, maybe that would have had a payoff. No. I, I don't mind that. I, th- I think that is the sort of thing that Villa would preoccupy himself with, with something trivial. Yeah. And he's, he's had answers to two of his three questions. And essentially, <laughs> all the, the actions leave him unfulfilled because he really did want to know the final thing. So, it's absolutely a, a kind of O-Walko moment, but I, I think it works for the character. Yeah. And given his, his, again, as I say, uh, given that Villa isn't at his best for most of the episode, although I would argue that w- when he has actually been turned into a neurobot, so to speak, you do see him really, <laughs> I suppose, come out of his shell. Um, <laughs> that was not intended. Uh, but, yeah, you, you, he, he, and he just turns all his anger and just like lashes out at Tarrant. Yeah, and it cool, results. It's, it's, it's Tarrant's fault they're there. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, it is. But, you know, Servland wouldn't have been there if he wasn't drunkenly giving away everything in the pub. But yeah, so, but, uh, I can understand, you know, he's, as far as he's concerned, he's been turned into a robot and can't get his body back. He's gonna, he, he wants to take it out on somebody. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And, I, I think, you know, that, that gives Michael Keating a bit more dramatic weight than you know, the slurring drunk at the beginning. <laughs> yes. As entertaining as that is. Uh, and then there's this whole business of everyone referring to the Federation as Fed. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that's a thing. <laughs> for for this and this story only it is a thing. I mean, yeah, it's got to be up there with the, uh, the reverse view screen. In <laughs> <laughs> now, it's only you that Gave a damn about the reverse view screen. Well, just because, again, it was something that cropped up for that episode and that episode only. Yeah. It was utterly pointless and never mentioned again. Yep. So, yeah, it's... Uh, the best one in the world. I mean, all the actors are, are doing their best with it, I think. 
Oh, yeah. But, I mean, again, Jacqueline Pierce is going to town with Sir Valance. Oh, absolutely. Particularly in the dinner scene. Yeah. And uh, Paul Darrow is, uh, like, uh, being nice and frustrating. Well, frustrated as Avon. Uh, Michael Keating, yeah. He's fun to listen to when he's being pissed. Yep. But, again, I mean, like, Sula and Dana don't get a massive amount to do. They're there. Yep. But... That's the kindest thing you can say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again, if you've never heard Blake Seven, it sort of sort of fails on both counts, because if you've never heard Blake Seven, you're going to have no idea who these people are or what they want. Yeah. If you do watch Blake Seven, you're going to be going, what the hell is this? Yeah. So it, it sort of falls between Can't both fails miserably. Is this really how we're ending Shake and Blake, Dave? <laughs> it's looking that way, isn't it? Jesus. <laughs> God. Thank Christ for this new series. <laughs> oh dear. Well, um, that was the Cinderton experiment. Blake's <laughs> adventure with Barry Letts. The Cinderton experiment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there we have it, folks. It's a much shorter episode than last month's. <laughs> I think it had to be, really. <laughs> So practically a vignette. <laughs> An after-dinner mint. So for the last time, let's plug things. Yes. Ian, speak to me of the world of Earth2.net. Right, well, we have had a uh, true podcast milestone um, in, in the past few weeks. That's right, an amazing podcast, 141. No. Hey! No, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, Dread Media has uh, now gone uh, over the 300-episode barrier. Bloody hell. And in it, it's even more impressive when you think that those are consecutive weeks that wow. Des Reddick has done. With, you know, a lot of help from um, contributors and the like, but uh, he, he has managed it. And uh, so impressed was I that I actually donated money to him. And if you know me, you know that's something I don't really like doing. No, so I, um, I, do, I do know this about you. Yeah. <laughs> You've met me once. Um, <laughs> and that bar in London was expensive. <laughs> so yeah, so Dread Media 300 uh, was a celebration of uh, a chap called Mario Bava, who has been described as the godfather of the Italian genre cinema, such as Giallo. I'm like. familiar with the name. And uh, he had many uh, people of uh, present contributors and past ones on. So he had uh, Mike was on. Um, it was the first time we'd heard a Reddick and Sims review for God knows how long. Um, Daryl, who was a, a very regular co-host until he moved away to film schools, come back. Uh, DW, Dubs, um, of the Trek for Tyrades fame, uh, uh, you know, he contributed a joint review with Des, and they announced that Drop D is coming back. Ooh. The music podcast that they hosted together before it went on hiatus last year. And uh, if memory serves, uh, they just finished covering all the albums of Faith No More, and they were due to start Nine Inch Nails. So uh, uh. if anyone out there is a fan of Nine Inch Nails... 
I mean, I'm not, but uh, <laughs> I, I I always find it interesting, because, I mean, they've been through four bands in total. Tool, who I'm not familiar with in any way. Uh, Guns N' Roses, who I'm familiar with, but don't really have a good opinion on of. Um, <laughs> the Offspring, who I do like, who, again, don't have much of their discography. And, uh, as I say, they've, they've just finished uh, Faith No More. So, again... When I listen to that podcast and how they go through things track by track, it's it's always an entertaining listen. So, so that was another thing that was uh, very good to hear about uh, Dread Media Three Hundred. Yeah, absolutely, c- c- strong and hearty congratulations. Absolutely, and uh, Books Without Pictures is up and running now, and uh, they've uh, uh, put up uh, a book called The Martian Chronicles. Ah, Ray Bradbury. If you say so. I've I've yet to listen to it, but uh, essentially that is going to be Earth 2's um, book club uh, podcast, essentially, uh, specialising in sci-fi. So uh, so it would be very interesting to give that a listen. And, uh, yeah, certainly. If I find time to uh, join in the fun, then I, I will definitely do what I can. Um, so... I think those are the biggest things going on uh, on Earth 2. Other than to say that um, Bigger on the Inside, which I, I feel deserves a mention in this, our, our final regular show, because... Um, actually, I forget why. Screw them. But uh, they've uh, just finished... Well, uh, by the time this goes out, they will have just finished the RTD era. Ah, yes. uh, (laughs) And that means one more Doctor to go. Well. Yeah. And certainly lots to talk about next episode, I imagine. I I, I would think so as well. I I believe Doctor Who's been in the news of late. Really? Yeah. Must have passed me by. (laughs) Oh, they're naming all sorts of people who could play that guy. Certainly are. Not even men. Yep. Anyway, uh, so that is my final offering for the net of which we call Earth 2. Splendid. Meanwhile, over at Geek Planet Online, the Irish pubcast mm-hmm. are uh, embarking on a project which they're going to be calling uh, Pubcast International. Ooh. Where basically they're inviting lots of friends and other podcasters to, to podcast in the pub-style way, i.e. in a pub with some friends and some drinks. And just talk about stuff. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm hopefully going to be participating in a pubcast of my very own. And I know that lots of other people from uh, various different podcasts and sort of places where they know people are going to be uh, doing the same sort of thing. So that should be quite exciting. Ooh, wow. Uh, the broadcast have uh, made it into, uh, I think it's a series four territory now. They've just covered uh, First Contact, not that one. And uh, Galaxy's Child. Yeah, that's a joke that completely fails with me, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was done for the listeners. Yeah. Done for the listeners. Yeah, that's right. It's the listeners. Mm. And uh, in, in exciting news, uh, in, in a tangential deviation that we have recorded, but it isn't going up yet, it's going to be going up uh, sometime, uh, possibly the week after this goes up. But uh, we have a new tangential deviation, which we were very privileged to be joined by Mr. Paul Cornell. Bloody hell. So, uh, writer of London Falling and current writer of Wolverine. 
the Paul Cornell. Yes, the Paul Cornell. Wow. But yeah, we, we had a thoroughly lovely chat, and hopefully you'll hear the results of that soon. Oh, definitely. I've, I've got that subscribed on uh, iTunes now. Wow. <laughs> so that's who it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ever since I heard of an exorcist version of the Agadu, you know. <laughs> it only gets more ridiculous from there. Well, yeah, I know, I know. Well then, I suppose it's time to wrap it up, isn't it? Eh, this is the end of the road. Or at least we've got to the builder sign where people are extending the road further. Yes. Um, <laughs> in, into what is going to be a very tortured metaphor. Um, yes. So well, it, certainly, I I would say that at a rough estimate, because mm-hmm. considering the show, the new show isn't even being cast yet. Never mind actually filming. I think it's fair to say that we're not going to see anything of the new show until probably next year. Yeah, and then we're going to need to give it some time to sort of bed in and for us to have watched it as well. Yes. So all in all, I think we're possibly looking at a return of around 2015. Ooh! <laughs> I'll be in my thirties then. Yes, and so will I. <laughs> Good, just. For <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Um, Do you think we should uh, like t- tease our next project as well? I, don't, I know people have asked us if we're doing going to do something else. I I think we should. I don't know about you, Mister Wilson, but I imagine that we should probably take a couple of months off. I'd agree with that. I. I'm thinking the summer. We take the summer off, mm-hmm. we come back in September. Okay. And our, our new show, tentatively titled, Twice as Bright, Half as Long, mm-hmm. is going to be a, a similar format to Shake and Blake, insofar that we are going to be re-watching things, but it's going to be a re-watch podcast covering short-lived shows. All of them. Yes, both both British and American, which have only lasted no more than two seasons. That is the rule we are imposing upon ourselves. If it lasted more than two seasons, we're not going to watch it. If it lasted more than two series, it was a success. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking about terrible things like Firefly. <laughs> but basically, we're out to see if the light that burns twice as bright really does burn half as long. Hence the title. Yes. So yeah, I, hopefully... I'm hoping to kick things off with the uh, the one series British site, uh, British vampire show Ultraviolet as our uh, as our kick off. Mm. And obviously, once we get like a an email address and a train and everything up nearer the time, we'll start uh, putting calls out for feedback for that, and also your suggestions as well. Oh, absolutely! Yes, we'll very much be open to suggestions. I mean, we have a few ideas of stuff we want to cover. Mm. But if there's anything out there that you think would make a make a good subject for uh, what, a one or two series wonder, then we'll happily look at that as well. And just bear in mind, it is probably still going to take on the Shaken Lake Bigger on the Inside format, because just use as a rule of thumb, I probably haven't seen it. Yes. I have seen Firefly, but uh, I don't think we're even going to do Firefly because we've got uh, big damn heroes on f We sort of can't do Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if we end up doing it before big damn heroes get Oh, that would lynchers. be brilliant. <laughs> They'd be so angry. Excellent. Let's do that. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> don't start a war with another podcast before our new one's even started. Uh, I suppose that would be... 
I don't think they listen to this. It'll be fine. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so um We shall return in September. Yes. But for the meantime we're going to hang up Shake and Blake like a, a very reliable jacket. But sadly yes. getting a bit uh, worn around the edges. With, with enormous sleeves. <laughs> yes. Because our egos are that big now. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Might need going to the dry cleaners. <laughs> yes, so, uh, have a lovely summer, listeners. Yes, all of we you. Shall, we shall see you again in September. Mm. But uh, I guess until then, from me, Dave Broward. And myself, Ian Wilson. Thanks for listening to Shake and Blake. Bye. Goodbye. Let's get it on.